Pressing on just a little farther in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the uh, text is reproduced for you in your bulletin, or you may look in your copy of the scriptures. I'll go ahead and read, and you're hearing all of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7, although our focus will clearly be on verse 7 and Noah. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. I think there's a strong temptation uh, for many, myself included, uh, to look at these, look at this list, uh, Abel, Enoch, uh, Noah, we're going to press on and, and read about Abraham and, and Moses and others, and we, we think of these uh, as possessing extraordinary, nearly unattainable Faith in, in many commentaries, when you get to the heading for Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see something like heroes of faith. Uh, or, I believe, this chapter has often been referred to as faith's hall of fame. But as it turns out, the scripture does not call these heroes of faith, nor does it indicate that they are faith's hall of fame. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, these, about whom we're reading, are called witnesses. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is the same word that's used in the, uh, Jesus commissioning the apostles, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we need to understand is the writer of Hebrews does not hold these up for us, again, as having unattainable, extraordinary faith, because to do so would defeat his purpose. <laughs> He's not trying to discourage us by showing forth an example, which is a standard that when we read about it, we figure, well, I could never have the faith of Noah. I could never have the faith of Abraham. That would defeat his purpose of trying to encourage us. 
No, these, I would maintain, are examples of ordinary saving faith. This whole list, this entire chapter, gives us illustrations and examples of ordinary saving faith. For example, what did Abel do that was so spectacular? What did Abel do that you cannot emulate or follow? Abel worshipped in spirit and in truth. That's all he did. He worshipped from a sincere heart that loved God. He worshipped from a pure heart that sought to follow God's will and God's way. That's what Abel did. We can do that. (laughs) We can worship like Abel. There have been millions of Abels since the time of Abel, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Not all who have worshiped God have died or been murdered like Abel. But nevertheless, he is set forth as an example that we can follow. What about Enoch? What did Enoch do that was so extraordinary so as to be entirely unique and out of reach for most of us? Enoch walked with God. That's what he did. We can do that. We can walk with God by faith. We can live a life of close fellowship with God. We can live a life of intimacy with God. We can live a life of consistently conversing with him in prayer. There have been millions of Enoch's since the time of Enoch. And we can walk with God as he did, and our end will be the same as his. Not that we won't see death, but we'll end up in the same place, living in the house of the Lord forever and ever. This is how we are to live, worshiping God by faith, walking with God by faith. And if we do that, then we will glorify God before the watching world by faith. What God did is he took the expression of their ordinary faith, and with their faith, he did extraordinary things. That's what the scripture is all about. It is not so much about extraordinary faith as it is about faith in an extraordinary God. God is the one who does extraordinary things as we worship him as we walk with him, as we trust him, as we follow him. Years and years ago, I mean way, way back, I attended a missions conference in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, that was sponsored by InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And I don't even remember who the speaker was, but I remember one of the things one of the speakers said, and I've never forgotten it to this very day. This is what this speaker said. We are not called to do great things for God. We are called to do things for a great God. I have latched onto that with both hands. We follow God faithfully in faith believing he's the one who does great things with our ordinary faith. 
And so having held up Abel and Enoch, we now come to Noah. We've already read the majority of the account concerning Noah. I am going to read just portions of it again, uh, so it'll just be fresh and right before us. It's not lengthy. The earth was corrupt in God's sight. This is Genesis 6.11. The earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. And then he gives the details. Verse 17. Behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which there is breath under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And then verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And then chapter 7 and verse 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all of your household. In the account, what we see is Noah heard, he listened to the voice of God. He heard God's warning of coming judgment. He not only heard God's warning of coming judgment, he heard God's way of escape. He heard the word of judgment, and he heard the way of escape. Genesis 6.14, make yourself an ark. He was listening for God's voice. He was attentive to God's words. We can do that. This is a copy of the scriptures. How many times have You heard, hopefully, someone, you know, oh, I wish I could just hear God's voice. Oh, I wish God would talk to me. Oh, I wish. If you want to hear God's voice, open the book. (laughs) This is literally the only place where God speaks with infallible certainty. If it's in the book and it reads, God said, it is as much God's word as if he were standing here in a body speaking these words himself. That's how much this book is God's words. And so the question is, do we, like Noah, listen for God's voice? Are we in the scriptures regularly, faithfully, lengthily, not just one or two verses a day, but taking in, as well as one or two verses, large portions of Scripture that we might hear God's voice. Although there may be sound reasoning behind some things we do and say and think, even that has an element of speculation in it if it's not in the Scriptures. This alone tells us what God says. And so upon this, we can lean with infallible certainty. That's what Noah did. He listened to God's word of warning, and he listened and heard God's way of escape. And then he also heard God's means for escaping. He didn't say, Noah, I'm bringing judgment on the world, and I'm going to spare you and your family. 
And then Noah's like, whoopee, I don't have to do anything. (laughs) It didn't work that way. God said, I'm going to provide a way of escape from my coming judgment. Here are the means that I'm going to employ and ordain by which you are to escape. I'm laboring the point because God's faith in God does not contradict a use of means. God accomplishes all of his purpose, all of his plans, all of his will. But more often than not, he employs means for accomplishing his will. When it's God's will for the grass to be wet, ordinarily he sends rain. He uses the means. It doesn't mean he's bound to those ordinary means. We know that. But those are extraordinary and rare. Ordinarily, God employs means to accomplish his wins, his ends, and in Noah's case, that's what he did. You're going to be saved, you're going to be spared. This is the way by which you're going to be saved and spared. I couldn't help but think uh, of this story. I suspect many, if not all of you, have heard it before, but it's one of my favorites, and so I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, but it's the, uh, in, in St. Louis, the, the Missouri and the Mississippi uh, converge. And often, that floodplain where they converge floods, hence the term, floodplain. And so we, in my growing up years in St. Louis, saw from time to time some you know, pretty gnarly floods uh, that overwhelmed the people in the houses that, for some reason or other, built houses in, uh, in that floodplain. So there's the story of the flooding uh, one year and the guy's in his house, you know, and the floodwaters come in and come up the stairs and start to flood the first floor. Some of you are smiling. You already know what's coming. That's okay. Hang with me. And so, you know, here comes, you know, one of the rescue boats by. He says, dude, you know, this isn't the end of it. You need to get in the boat. What does he say? Oh, no, no, no. God is going to save me. God is going to save me. Okay. You know, and the floodwaters continue to rise, and so he has to scramble up the stairs onto the second floor. You know, and he opens his window, and here comes another rescue boat. Like, Man, we're here to to rescue you. We're going to save you. Oh, no, no, no. God's going to save me. You know, okay. Off they go. The floodwaters continue to rise. He scrambles out on the roof and up to the very top. And so the the, the house is almost completely submerged. The water is up to his ankles. And a helicopter comes by and drops a ladder. (laughs) This, This is it. Grab onto the ladder and climb up. No, no, God is going to save me. And so the helicopter goes off and the floodwaters continue to rise. And the guy drowns to death. (laughs) And so he appears before God and says, God, I don't understand. You know, I, I knew that you would save me. What happened? And God says, son, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What do you want? (laughs) This is one who refused to use God's means for accomplishing his purposes. Noah did not only hear uh, God's word, he also heeded God's word. He didn't just listen to what the Lord said. He acted on what the Lord says. Genesis 6.22, Noah did all that God commanded him. Now, just let this sink in a bit. 
The only thing that Noah had to go on was God's words. That's it. That's all he had to go on were God's words. There was no external evidence that a universal flood was coming. There was no visible indication that anything was about to change. When Noah builds the ark, it's not because there were birth pangs of impending gloom and doom. There were not earthquakes or wars or rumors of wars. There's no history of this kind of cataclysmic event having occurred before so that you might suppose that since it happened once, you know, it might happen again. There was nothing like that. There was no visible evidence that God was going to bring an end to everything. All he had was God's word saying, this is what's coming, this is what you need to do. And by faith, Noah obeyed and built the ark. Again, this reminded me of something I heard once from uh, one who had a shaping influence on my life, and I've used him before, the late Dr. Francis Schaeffer. In one of his sermons, Dr. Schaeffer said this, every person has two creeds. There's the creed of what we say we believe and the creed of how we live our lives. And he said, how we live our lives is what we really believe. And then... Thankfully, he hastened to add, none of us do it well. We, we, we don't live as well as we know. We know more than we, than we live. But in general, I get the point. We act on what we really believe. And what we really believe is revealed. Our real creed is revealed by how we live and, and how we act. And so Noah, he didn't only practice what he preached He also preached what he practiced. He he didn't just build the ark. He wasn't just a silent witness. And we know that from 2 Peter 2.5. 2 Peter 2.5. God did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Apparently, uh, Noah also bore a verbal witness to uh, those who were wondering what he was doing and uh, why. Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. And how long was his preaching ministry? Scripture says 120 years. 120 years from the day Noah received the warning and paid attention to it and the day when God brought judgment on the unbelieving and wicked world. I believe, as far as I know, Noah had to be the most unsuccessful preacher that has ever lived. (laughs) 120 years! How many people believed his message? Upon how many people did he have a saving impact? Answer? None. (laughs) Zero. Nada. Bupkis. Zip. 
120 years of preaching, nobody responded savingly to his message. I mean, can't you just imagine some of what surely must have taken place? When is the flood coming? I don't know. Okay, well, how long is the flood going to last? Yeah, well, you know, well I, well, I don't know. Well, you know, how many people can you fit in that ark? You know, there's a lot of rooms in, in that ark. How many people can fit in there? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure. You know, I, I think that the majority of the space is going to be taken up by animals, as, as I understand it. Okay, Noah, let me get this straight. God is going to destroy all the human beings, and he's going to save the stupid animals. Is that, what, is that, was that what's going on? Noah's like, my friend, all I can tell you is this is what the Lord, the God who made heaven and earth, the seas, and all that is in them said. Judgment is coming. The ark is the provision of safety and salvation. Get in the ark. That's all I know. What was the effect of that word? Luke tells us. Luke gives, I love the way the Bible gives commentary on the Bible. That's always my favorite part because it feels pretty certain. Luke 17, 26. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. You know, I don't think Noah's message was so much rejected as it was just, it was just ignored. It was just taken as irrelevant by the people of his day. People eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. You know, the sun goes up, the sun goes down, people get born, people die. Uh, the seasons change uh, to invoke the words of the prophets, uh, John, George, uh, and uh, who am I missing besides Ringo? Paul, John, George, Paul, and Ringo. Obladi, oblada, life goes on. La, 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 life goes on. That's the way the people of Noah's day took his message. Everything is now as it's always been. As we look at the world in which we live, the external evidence seems to indicate it's just going to go on like this forever. Or it may gradually, ever so gradually, uh, deteriorate. But you're telling me there's going to be a sudden, unexpected, inescapable, inescapable climactic and catastrophic end to all things? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, I don't think so. Nope, I don't, uh, I don't believe that. Or to put it another way, where is this coming of the Lord? that you Christians talk about. It's been 2,000 years since he was here. Why in the world would I believe that he is coming soon or that he is coming ever at all? My brothers and sisters, what I think is, unless there are some people who think you're crazy then maybe it's because you haven't told them everything you believe. (laughs) 
Because when we tell people everything we believe, because it's what God has said, there will be some who think we are out of our mind. Others ignored God's word, Noah listened. Others defied God's word, Noah obeyed. Others laughed at God's threat. Noah was terrified, (laughs) and he was so scared, he built the ark. He acted in faith on things unseen. Not a shred of evidence that any of these things were going to come to pass. And yet, believing God in these unseen, yet-to-be-determined things, listening to God, he built the ark. And then in Hebrews uh, verse 7, 11, 7, by faith, Noah became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By what he did... Noah didn't earn his salvation. He didn't work his way into heaven. No, he, he showed, he gave evidence that he believed God, that he trusted God, that he trusted God savingly. And so again, for a third time, we have the invoking of this phrase that's the classic phrase of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in God alone. It appears in Romans, of course, from Paul. It appears in Hebrews chapter 10. I think we referred to that either last week or the week before, that the context of Hebrews Hebrews 11 is the end of Hebrews 10. And the end of Hebrews, uh, I mean, yeah, the end of Hebrews uh, uh, 10 that talks about my righteous one will live by faith. And that that ushers us in to chapter 11. Well, what what does saving faith look like? And then he gives the the definition of faith and demonstrations or examples of faith. What did Noah do? He told sinners that the wrath of God is coming against all repentant, unrepentant sin and wickedness, and that God has made a provision for all those who will believe, and that provision is in the ark, which will save anyone from the flood of judgment who goes in. This is us. We we do exactly the same thing. We show that we've believed God, that we've been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by telling people the same message. It is the message. It would be wonderful to persuade and woo and encourage and draw people to God solely by his great love for sinners and praise God for that. It may be less frequent, but it is no less biblical to drive people to Christ for fear of the coming judgment. That is not a less biblical motivation for believing and being saved, to escape the judgment we all deserve. We have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. That's what all have earned and deserved. But the gift of God is eternal life. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. Woo-hoo, let's go play. <laughs> the gift of God is eternal life through the means of faith in Jesus Christ. God has provided the way of escape from judgment. But the only way of escape 
is in Jesus Christ. When we tell people that, when we hear that message, it will not be 120 years before God acts on it. There is, I got to thinking, there is sort of a universal eschatological judgment that is coming when Christ returns. But before that, there is a more immediate personal judgment that everyone in this room, including myself, will face in less than 120 years. (laughs) And that, of course, is when we die. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Judgment isn't coming in 120 years for us in this room. For some people, Lord willing, not in this room, but in the world, it may not even be 120 days. It may not even be 120 minutes. And that's why Paul says with urgency, today is the day of salvation. Today the ark is opened. Today, Christ receives sinners for those who will put their faith and trust in him today. Why? Because the Bible tells us, and we know this by experience, we don't know what a day may bring. Again, God forbid this is anybody in this room. It really needs to not be. But if we expand our view to the whole world, we know There are people who are alive and well today who will not be here tomorrow. And they don't know that. And we don't know that. But we know, we don't know who it is, but we know that it's true. That's the urgency. God gives us today. We're all here. Praise God for that. But there's there's no promise of, of tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. What does ordinary faith look like? Ordinary faith worships God in spirit and in truth, like Abel. Ordinary faith walks with God, like Enoch. And ordinary faith listens to God's word and obeys his instructions, like Noah. Let's pray. We thank you for our forefathers and mothers in the faith about whom we are reading, given to us as examples to follow. So, Heavenly Father, draw us out in greater faith and greater trust. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.